Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the You Love and You Learn podcast. In today's episode, I got a chance to speak with Emma Wilson, otherwise known as the Turning 30 Coach. Emma is a life coach that's dedicated to helping those who are turning 30 to feel better at this transitional time. After experiencing her own personal turning 30 struggles six years ago, Emma began her mission to help others struggling with the 30 pressures and helps her clients to feel more confident and get unstuck in all areas of life from careers, dating, friendships, finances, lifestyle, and more. Through one-on-one coaching courses, group programs, and her podcast, The Turning 30 Podcast, Emma guides 30-somethings to ditch the timeline and the shoulds to create life in their 30s that feels right for them. This episode is somewhat niche because it's combining not only relationship anxiety, which is already a niche topic, but also the specific age of approaching 30s and turning 30, being in your 30s. But I have had many of my clients who have had this specific flavor of relationship anxiety specific to age or wanting to do something by a certain age, whatever it is. And I knew that this conversation would be an important conversation to have. So please take what works in this episode and leave the rest. Now let's dive in. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me on the You Love and You Learn podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, our paths crossed actually somewhat recently, but I feel like ever since I was a guest on your podcast, I just feel really connected to you and the work that you're doing. And I think that both of us have somewhat of a niche topic that we help people with, but the topics are so important. And I think that there's definitely overlap between them. And so that's why I'm really excited to have you on to chat today. So Would you mind just giving us kind of an overview of what led you to become the first and only turning 30 coach? Like what does 30 represent in your life and how is that something that you ended up being passionate about to support others with? Firstly, just in response to what you said about our paths crossing, I also feel the same and, you know, we'll probably speak about it later in the episode, but I really found your Uh, page your Instagram page and all the work that you do at such an important time for me it was because I had just started a new relationship and I just love the work that you do and I agree that our missions really overlap and I think that's why we've been doing so many collaborations and I'm sure more to come uh, because I do think that the things that you speak about and also the work you do with your clients is really uh, in sync with with mine so on that note I'll move into what I actually do. So I brand myself as the turning 30 coach. So that's really specifically helping women who are in their 30s or about to be in their 30s and they feel left behind. They feel like they're not exactly where they want to be. They are in comparison mode, looking around at other people and thinking, why am I not doing that? And they're just in a place of 
feeling stuck and confused and not confident and wanting to build their next chapter. And like most of us, and I know this is definitely your journey into your coaching niche, it came from a place of my own turning 30 quote unquote crisis. So I live my twenties and I was into personal development, but it wasn't at the forefront of my life. But when I turned 29, so it was literally my 29th birthday, I just had this sinking feeling of I'm just not where I want to be. And and nothing really bad was happening. You know, I always say my rock bottom wasn't very dramatic. It was just a feeling of emptiness, a feeling of I wasn't in the career that I wanted to be in. I was single at the time, but not happily single. I was dating and very unsuccessfully. And yeah, I just really felt like something was missing. And I was staring 30, like, you know, in the face. And I was like, I just feel like there's work to be done. And I didn't really know what or or where to go with it. And I remember just sitting and Googling, like turning 30 and feeling lost, turning 30 and freaking out, turning 30 and wanting to make a change. And I didn't really find anything specific for somebody who was in that position, but it did lead me to start um, career coaching at the time and also a therapy journey which was just really pivotal for me entering my 30s feeling a lot better about where I was but the journey is you know ever evolving and it wasn't just like a quick fix like oh 29 hired a coach and then that was all good it really was it's still ongoing now and through this I discovered the power of mindset coaching so really understanding how the stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves feed into the reality and what actually is on the outside. And by really, I guess, working on my mindset and understanding and go, getting into awareness, I was able to make lots of changes in my life. And honestly, my 30s are amazing. From going from that fear of oh, I'm growing up and I'm growing older and I'm not got what I want and I need to be married and have kids and all the things that people, you know, struggle with when they turn 30 so many different things came from there I you know I've just embraced my 30s and really inspire all of my community and everyone I meet along the way to do the same Mm, yeah and you really do have so much wisdom to share from what I can see of your story and I think that it's such an important topic and the reason that I wanted to obviously invite you on here today is because I think that a lot of this turning 30 or being in your 30s can also impact how we're showing up in relationships and there can be a lot of relationship anxiety that comes up because of age and especially for women I'm sure that some men feel the same way but especially with women and if someone does feel like they want to have kids or they're on the fence and they're trying to decide about having kids of course that is a factor and a few of my clients have asked me about that recently but it's something that comes up very often in my work and so because it was so recent and top of mind I was like we have to do this conversation yeah (laughs) So can you talk a little bit more, whether in your own experience or the work you do with clients, what are some of these narratives or stories that we're telling ourselves when it specifically comes to relationships around where we should be at when it comes to our age and all of that? Yes, of course. So I call them in my coaching, the turning 30 manual. So it's this instruction manual that we create a fictional manual, but it 
feels very real. And we create it sometimes when we're in our late teens, most of the time in our 20s, of how we believe our 30s should look or where we're going to be. And I always say it's marriage, mortgage, babies, they're the main ones. And honestly, in my experience of the work that I do and the people that I meet for my community, I think relationship is actually the top pressure. I really do, uh, for women. And a lot of people ask me, you know, do you also coach men? And and the answer is no, I have very few clients or have had very few clients who are men because women have this extra pressure. So whilst men can turn 30 and feel the career or money pressures, the, you know, the relationship pressure for them isn't there because of biological clock. And for women, you know, relationships are very loaded at this age. And, you know, we it's very normal because we can see why it makes sense. And I know that you recently turned 30 and and you're, you know, on, I'm sure that you've also been exposed to this as well, where people saying to you, okay, you know, when are you going to take those next steps? Popular culture, movies, you know, Bridget Jones is a spinster and she was 32 years old. Like all of these signals that we're getting from around us that by 30, we should be up to a certain stage. We should be in a certain point in our lives. And we internalize that. And often we don't even know if that's what we really want or that's just what society wants from us. But I truly, truly believe that the biggest narrative out there is that by the age of 30, we should be in a serious relationship. I'm not going to say that we should be married or have children. For some people, depending on their cultural or religious background, 30 really is the time where they would expect that to happen, but not everyone. And I do feel like it's changing a little bit. I think 35 is probably more of an age where people would expect to have already started having children. But for sure, for sure, the age of 30, you would really think, okay, I would have already, quote unquote, met my person. Mm -hmm. And when you haven't met your person by that age and you're 28, 29, and maybe you've got family members who are questioning you, maybe your friends have all started settling down and moving in with their partners or even getting engaged and getting married, it's really confronting. And I think that, you know, it happened to me and it happens to obviously so many of my clients and followers that it can just feel like you've failed it can genuinely feel like you've done something wrong and the truth is you've done absolutely nothing wrong we're all on different timelines not every single person in the world can meet their partner that they're going to start a family with that's what you're looking for by the age of 23 or 27 or 30 or 35 love doesn't work like that as we know and I think that yeah just to reiterate what you asked in the question that the biggest narrative is that if you haven't met somebody by this age that it's going to be more difficult or that you've done something wrong Mm, yeah and I can even think of a story that I made up I think probably now that you say that in my teens or even younger that I wanted to be a quote young mom Like I remember, and I love my mom to death. If you're listening, mom, I love you. (laughs) Um, But I think when I was younger, I saw some of my friends with younger moms and I felt like they were more relaxed, whether that's true or not. Like that is my own internal story. But I was like, oh, it would be so fun to be more of like a best friend with my mom growing up because we're closer in age. 
And now that I'm older, I can see like how close I am with my mom and realize that like she did need to be like that more motherly figure when I was growing up. But it's so funny to realize that the whole story of I want to be a younger mom was when I had no idea what responsibility would be of being a mom. And now that I've already turned 30, I'm still not ready to be a mom yet, even though it's something Nate and I have talked about wanting in the future. Um, but I just think it's so funny how that story was based off of nothing (laughs) that I actually experienced. It was more of just thinking that that would be a fantasy perfect situation. And once I did turn 30, I realized like, whoa, all the respect in the world to younger moms, but like I was not ready at all for that. So I think that's a really interesting example of how sometimes when we just simply live our life, there's an experience that will come up that will help us realize like maybe that thing I was expecting wasn't necessarily the only way forward. I love that you shared that example because as much as I say, you know, everyone has these turning 30 manuals, we all have our own individual manual. And I think that's a really good example that you had this narrative of this expectation of, I want to be a young mom because that in some way will have affected you in your journey to turning 30 and now you've uncovered it I'm sure this is the work I do with my clients is to uncover these narratives and say okay you know is that actually a failure is it the truth that you want to become a young mum, or did it come from somewhere in the past and yeah thank you for sharing it because I think it's really important that everyone sits with themselves and asks those questions because obviously as we know the way that we get brought up in our early childhood experiences really affect how we feel and that's why especially you know, I work with clients who, for example, if they have siblings who did something at a certain time, that would affect how they would feel mm-hmm. about it. If they I think parents isn't another good one. If they, um, I don't know, were exposed, if they're from a certain religious background and everyone does things earlier, that's a big one that um, I uh, see is that, you know, a lot of my friends, I can speak from personal example. I'm from a Jewish community where it's not religious, it's secular, but everyone kind of does things at the same time. And it's very, I call it the domino effect. Like one person starts doing something and everyone does it. It's very, Mm -hmm. the community is quite insular. And all my friends from home, from back in Manchester uh, in the UK, they all got married at the age of 26, 27. So I always say the example of, I had 13 weddings in one year when I was 27, because everyone just started doing it all at the same time. And so when we have these manuals where we see everyone else doing it, And then we also are told from a young age, oh, by the time you're 25, you'll be in a serious relationship. And by the time you're 30, you'll already have kids and you'll live in the suburbs and you'll be partner in a law firm and all these expectations. You know, this this is my manual, what I had. It's like, what? You know, then it's not happening. And then I think the question that you said before, which is really great, is that you're asking, okay, but actually in reality, is that what I want? You know, in the reality, you and Nate have spoken about it, but it's not probably something that needed to happen by the time you turned 30. So it didn't. Yeah. You kind of teed this up when you said this is something I help my clients, you know, assess. Was this coming from me or was it coming maybe from a story I had from family and friends or was this coming from society at large? But if someone is listening and they realize maybe after hearing this initial part of us talking like, okay, maybe I can acknowledge that some of these expectations I've placed on myself have been influenced externally and maybe there's a new potential manual or story or experience that I can create for myself. 
how should they begin to explore what they actually desire versus trying to just simply go with the norm or the status quo? And I know that's not an easy thing to practice in real life. Um, it's it's challenging, but what are some things they could consider? Well, I do think it is challenging because I mentioned this before, how we internalize a lot of our social conditioning. So even if once upon a time we didn't have those beliefs at all and maybe if we had never been exposed to something we never would have formed that belief most of the time we can't really decipher whether that was something because somebody taught us or whether it's because we believe or want it so I want to say that for anybody listening who's thinking oh my god how do you know it is challenging to know and it's something that I think comes with a lot of self-awareness so for me I think the biggest thing to do if this is you is to start journaling and to really meet yourself and meet your thoughts and your beliefs and all these, I guess, subconscious patterning and the social conditioning on a piece of paper by really being honest with yourself. A lot of people, like you said, just kind of go through and they don't ask these questions and almost just coming into self-awareness is about asking those questions, doing some what I call self-inquiry and journaling is an amazing way to do that. I also think that I use this example a, a few weeks ago when I was on another person's podcast episode, and I want to say it again because I think it is really important. Often when we are doing something that we should be doing, but we don't necessarily want to, when we imagine doing it, it makes us like contract. Like it makes us feel like, like, like not comfortable. So I would listen to your body. Like if you're thinking about, for example, getting married by a certain age and you have to do it and then that feeling makes your body like almost like cringe or or have an, a difficult emotional experience then it's quite likely that that isn't actually what you want but if it's something that you speak about and it really lights you up and you can feel your body language changing and you can feel yourself like you know like expanding and, and feeling like excited then that probably is a true desire for you so I'd watch those signals and watch those bodily responses and emotions and also, and this is from personal experience as well, when you think about doing something, so for example, let's say you're in a relationship and you are feeling pressure to get engaged or take those next steps or move in together, whatever that might, next step might be for you. And you're not sure if it's like because society is telling you to do it or because you actually want to do it. Like when you think about doing that thing, are you just like imagining everyone else's response to it? Because when I was with my ex, I would imagine getting engaged to him. And I didn't actually feel that excited about being engaged to him. I felt really excited about calling my grandma, who's like, I always use her as an example of the person who would kind of be expecting me to do those manuals and be like, grandma, I'm finally engaged. You know, I've made it, I've done it. And it's like, actually, when I thought about the, the reality of being in this forever commitment with this person, my body kind of didn't want it. So that's another technique to really decide is to think about do I you know do I really really feel that this is something I want or is it just what other people want for me and therefore I want to impress them and I want to be validated by them mm, I love that second point especially I'll just start with that first of responding for that of like who are you kind of doing this for and I think that I've realized a lot with my clients when they have relationship anxiety, they are looking at their partner through the lens of what they think other people think about their partner. 
So someone could tell me in session, like, I'm actually really, I think my partner's really cute, but like, he's not the stereotypical cute that someone else would say. And so sometimes I worry or my partner's introverted and it doesn't really bother me. But like when we're at a wedding and he's not really like on the dance floor in party mode, I just worry that my friends will think he's boring and they might not even realize that they're doing it. But I really think that when we can check in on like, how are we thinking about a situation versus what we think others are thinking about it? That's a really good point. And then I want to make a note about the body signals that you mentioned, because I think that is also so important, but also with relationship anxiety, someone can be like, oh my gosh, what is my body signaling to me? And I know that that was my experience. And so I've found that there's a very subtle difference between when your fear is talking from a place of what if something goes wrong and or like the uncertainty of this feels really uncomfortable versus a signal that like this is going against maybe your values or going against something that aligns with your life. And I know you actually have experience uh, from your last relationship where you came to the conclusion that when you were getting signals that maybe this wasn't the right relationship for you, you understood like it's because we're actually not going down a path that is going to work for both of us. So I think that the hard part about that is, is that like you're the only person that can really make that decision for yourself of is this coming from a place of fear or is this coming from a place of we don't actually match up in certain ways that are really meaningful to me. So with that point in mind, would you be able to share a little bit more about the experience of your four-year relationship that you had? Yes, of course. So for everyone listening to know, and obviously uh, Sarah just uh, introduced it, I was in a relationship from the age of 29 until the minute before my 33rd birthday. And I think that relationship, I mentioned that when I was turning 29 and I you know, went out and started dating more productively and I met somebody and you know I'm not here to trash talk the relationship it was for nearly four years there were lots of beautiful things about the relationship but there were lots of things that weren't great about it and I have started to become more vocal of speaking about firstly going through a breakup at the age of 33 because I think that it's something that a lot of people are nervous about doing because of the fear of being alone or having to meet somebody in your 30s and also talking about why I stayed for longer than probably in retrospect I I don't want to say I should have because I think everything happened exactly as it should and I'm happy that I went through that experience but you know it really on reflection there were lots of things that caused me to I guess ignore some of these incompatibilities and some of these bodily signals uh, that were happening to me whilst I was with this person and I do want to say that you mentioned about feelings and and I think it's the biggest thing in relationship anxiety is that really you know understanding the difference between fear and um, you know intuition and I think that I don't have like a set answer of what I did or what I didn't do, but I can just say that it was, it was something that I definitely struggled with because I think your body does signal you, but then your mind just plays such a huge part in it. And I think it's really complex and layered about, you know, 
when you're with somebody you have you add in that okay well we already live together okay we already have done all these things okay I also I'm somebody who sometimes is anxious and some sometimes I can also be avoidant and all those different things and then wow it's so confusing and I know everyone listening to this will will relate uh, if you've ever had a relationship anxiety that you kind of go out and start to like look outside of you and google things and and consume content because you're trying to find answers from other people and really obviously we know that answer really only ever lives lies within and that's why I love the work that you do so much and that's how I found you because I was also on my own journey of trying to understand okay what are these bodily signals trying to show me and and how is it and that's when I stumbled across you and I think that yeah, it's just really important to ask, just even to ask those questions and to not make any snap decisions when you're in that space of being triggered or being activated and feeling really intense relationship anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you said you obviously didn't want to go into too much detail, but is there any example that you might be willing to share around what conclusion you came to that there was an incompatibility? It can be high level, but I think sometimes hearing examples from other people can be helpful because it's a lot of times in the abstract, even the word incompatibility can be very abstract and then mm. concrete examples can help people to yeah. reflect. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy to share. I think it's really important to speak about these things out loud. And I think because of the sensitive nature of them, it's not really spoken about enough. And I will say that, you know, I started this relationship in a space of wanting to call in a long that a long-term relationship let's say a, a life partner and this person had lots of great qualities but there were some really key things missing and I can say that one of them was um the compatibility of communication so you know I, I don't love the labels all the time of um you know being anxiously attached avoidant but we definitely did fit into that if we are going to put boxes and labels on it the anxious and avoidant dynamic because I was more anxious and he was definitely avoidant so there was that aspect of it as well and then there was also the aspect of I was a few years older and I was definitely looking for those next steps even at that point you know I was really hoping that the relationship would lead to um to engagement and marriage eventually and and he wasn't and he you know wasn't able to access that part in him that could be truly honest about where he was in the relationship. Um, and I think those two things sitting side by side with the two different stories, and they're two really big incompatibilities. You know, now I can say that one of the most important things in a relationship is communication. We know this, the ability to express, the ability for somebody to hear you and see you and hold space for you. And I also think a practical reality of somebody being in the same stage of life. So it doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, you and your partner have to be exactly like aligned for the minute that you want to do all those things, but at least know, okay, we, we want to go in this direction. And I didn't have those two things, but then there were many other things that I did have. And I think that the story that was playing out in my mind a lot of the time was like, well, I am turning, I'm 30 now, you know, we've already, we moved in together quite soon. And we'd already been living together for a couple of years when the big questions started coming up for me. And I think I did struggle with relationship anxiety because I just told myself, oh, if I just wait a little bit longer, then maybe, you know, he'll be on board. Or I also had the thing in my mind that, but when we are together for longer and we do take those next steps together, then he'll become more communicative. Mm. So I did what I think a lot of people do. And I call it, living in the land of ifs 
if that person will just do this, if that person will just, if we get engaged, if we can just get a little bit better. And it's like, I heard myself saying if a lot. (laughs) And I think that I realized that I was living in a future reality of a relationship that didn't exist in the present. And I think that's for me, what eventually made me really come to terms with the fact that it wasn't compatible because this person wasn't able to meet me where I was. Mm-hmm. But I do want to just say that I got to that point around 10 months before the relationship actually broke up because I was struggling to decipher. I think before that I was struggling to decipher, you know, do I actually want to not be with this person or or am I just like afraid of commitment? Or There was like lots of other complexities there. And then I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't the right relationship. But this fear, the, the turning 30 manuals mm. and the social validation and that everyone expecting and waiting for us to take those next steps and get engaged and all of those things that happened stopped me from actually leaving the relationship. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I really do think this example will be helpful for people to understand and just to not saying that your story should match theirs and my story doesn't need to match anyone's but just to understand a little bit of like the thought process that you were going through and something we talked about offline before this was that I think there's a point where a decision becomes much more clear for people and that you don't necessarily have to rush to get to that place of clarity you kind of teed up this story by saying that you know in hindsight, you were able to see some of this more clearly, but everything happened as it should. And that's a big belief of mine as well, that sometimes when we're in this place of not feeling clear, that eventually there is more clarity. I have two examples of that in my own life, one with an ex where I had clarity that it was no longer working. I wasn't getting back what I was putting in and it was a clear cut. Okay, like this is sad, but like it's it's not going to work. And then with Nate, I have had moments of clarity where it's like, this is what I really want. And even though I've had some anxiety, like I'm clear that this is the person that I want to be with. So I do think that for people who are in this limbo period, I just want you to trust yourself and trust that in the time that it will take, that there will be some more clarity. But sometimes in the discomfort of anxiety, we're trying to rush to get to that place of clarity. And so you don't have to be patient, of course, like your your life is your life. But if you're feeling this urgency around it to just maybe press pause a little bit and and try to use that uh, self-reflection or self-inquiry that Emma mm-hmm. kind of referred to earlier. Yeah. And I think this is really important. And I want to reiterate that a big part of my healing journey was forgiving the version of myself that stayed for this I guess, extra 10 months when I'd already understood that I wanted to leave because that was what was meant to happen. And I I really agree with you. And I think if you are struggling with relationship anxiety and debating about whether to leave a relationship in the grand scheme of life, there's no rush to cut and run the next day. Like I really think that, and I can say with certainty that my journey was my journey and that relationship played out the way it was supposed to play out. And there's definitely a way you can look at it and say, oh, but I wasted more time and, oh, I should have done this. And But but no, like it had to happen that way. And, I, and I'm really happy that it did, which might sound weird to people who say, oh, but, you know, you've been with someone for so long. How can you even think that? But I guess that kind of taps into like a more existential thing of really believing that your journey is, you know, your journey and things are unfolding as they should. But yeah. I do really agree with you and think that 
you know, it's not even necessarily about being patient. It's about being logical, which is a very opposing emotion to when you're feeling anxious sometimes. Cause it's like when you're in that spiked anxiety, you just want to know. And I have been working with a client recently who's just gone um, through a similar journey. And, you know, I actually made her not make a decision. Like you, just like you said, I was like, just let's sit and learn how to control your anxiety before we even get to the point of making any decisions. And I feel like we maybe spoke about this when you were a guest on my podcast that I think it's really important to be in that that space where you can learn how to manage your anxiety and then you can decide from a more calm and a, a, a place where your nervous system is not as activated. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for adding that piece. I also think just one last thought on this conversation specifically is that there's so much fear around breakups like I feel like and I used to have a a big fear of divorce um and I mean because my parents got a divorce and I saw divorce I think it was something that felt so big and scary to me mind you I'm not married you know so it's like I'm fearing something that I haven't even taken like a step towards yet um but I do think that breaks breakups and divorce have this like fully negative stigma around them and we're trying to do everything we can to avoid them and we think that we can't handle it and we think there's no life on the other side but I'm not here to encourage anyone that they should break up or that they should stay in their relationship but it's more just that like whatever happens you'll be able to handle it and to have a little bit more trust in your resilience as well because I think that sometimes we are so anxious in a relationship and then we're like, but, but but what if in two years I do find out that it it wasn't the relationship I wanted to be in or that we did have some incompatibilities and it's like, okay, well, first of all, we can't predict the future, but if that did happen and there was some clarity in the future, then trusting yourself to move through that and bounce back. Wow. I love the topic of, of breakups and talking about this. And again, I want to reiterate for everyone listening, I think both Sarah and I don't have a prerogative about whether somebody, whether our clients should stay in a relationship or go. But just like you said, just have that, you know, the building blocks of the belief that whatever happens, you have the ability to navigate it. But I do want to say that I used to really fear breakups, especially in relation to my age and wanting to have children by a certain point. And now I am like, that breakup not because of the person or anything like it's not something specific or personal but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it set me off on a completely new path that I could never have anticipated that if you would have told like 25 year old Emma that she would be breaking up with someone when she was 33 and starting to date again and you know meet somebody new at that age she would have been mortified she would have been so shocked she would have been so scared and honestly that breakup it was very typical you know skip to the part in the movie where it's like the mirage of somebody getting a makeover and, and having a glow up but it was a glow up for me and I think that when people are in relationships that they are ready to leave our mind goes to the negative it just goes to oh my god I'm going to be broken and it's going to be awful and yep breakups are really really hard and they are awful and the emotions that you experience and the logistical aspects, if that means having to, you know, move out of a house and find somewhere new to live and all the money things around that. Do not get me wrong. Breakups are not easy. They're one of the biggest disruptors in in, in our lives that we can go through. However, the things that are waiting on the other side of a breakup, if it is aligned and you choose whether it's aligned, are just incredible. And for me, that meant a lot of 
firstly, a lot of self-discovery, a lot of getting even deeper into the coaching world. My business took off during this time and I left my full-time job. I went solo traveling, met amazing friends. I started dating. I just found new hobbies. I got really into yoga. Like it is a little bit of a cliche, but I did really embrace that single life. And I ended up at the age of 35, freezing my eggs shortly after met my current partner now who just moved in a few weeks ago, like so many amazing things happened. And that's because breakups don't have to be scary. Okay. And mm-hmm. I want anyone listening to know that breakups, you know, they are difficult, but they can be so life-changing. And I really want to shout that out from the from the rooftops to anybody who comes across me in my community, because I think that there's this really awful narrative around divorce, around breakups that, you know, now sometimes I always say this, I said it on a podcast episode I did with a breakup coach and we were laughing about it in a really weird way that sometimes when people come to us as clients and say, I've just gone through a big breakup, I say, oh, I'm so jealous because I know that you're just going to have the biggest glow up now because you're just going to learn so many new things about yourself. Mm, Yeah, I love that insight. And I'll also add from my perspective for someone listening who may be like, romanticizing the breakup as well that I want to point out what you said which is that there's also really tough parts of it too and I wrote this blog post once called would I be happier single and the the key takeaway from that blog post was essentially that like in a relationship there are challenges and there are beautiful parts in being single, there are challenges and there are beautiful parts. So there is no better thing or there's no right path. And so for anyone listening, we've already said this a couple of times, but just like trusting in your own journey and not romanticizing a breakup that like, oh, that's going to be the thing that makes my life better because you can easily do that same kind of glow up when you're in a relationship too. It it kind of starts from your own mindset of like, how do I want to show up? So I think that's worth mentioning as well. I think I I said this as well about the word aligned. Like, I think it's all about knowing yourself well enough and going through a process with yourself to make aligned decisions. If the aligned decision is to break up, then I think that coming from that will be positive things and negative things. And I do want to say something about that in a moment. Uh, But also if you choose to stay with somebody and it's aligned, then the, the relationship itself and you as a person can also glow up, which is honestly something that I'm currently experiencing in, in my new relationship. So I really love that point. And I think it's really important to say that we're the creators of our own reality. So it's not like the circumstance that's making us have the the change. It's it's our mind. It's what we're what we're going through, what we're choosing to focus our energies on and put our, you know, invest our time, energy, and money in. And yeah, like I just did the big speech about how great my life was after the breakup, but wow, there were so many other things that were going on. And and I speak about this quite publicly as well in my content that one year ago, just before my 35th birthday, my best friend uh, got married and I was very involved in her wedding. And uh, she also announced she was pregnant quite soon after. And that was really hard for me. And, you know, it was almost like my mind could have gone to that place of, should I just have stayed with my ex? I was single going on two, two years at this point. And I felt panic and I was, you know, it, it was hard. So I want to say that there were just the sides to everything. Like the breakup was amazing. And with it came amazing, amazing highs, but also really low lows. And it's the same in a relationship. And I remember thinking, by the way, that if I could just meet someone and be with someone then my life would be so perfect. 
in the same way that when I was with my ex, I used to think if I could just have the courage to leave him. My life would be so perfect. And it's like, life is never perfect. You know, you've just got to navigate those ups and downs, no matter what's going on. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I want to explore the conversation more of the the fear of, do I need to commit to this person and be with this person in order to have kids? Because I am getting to the age where that's an important decision to make. And disclaimer that like neither of us have kids yet. So I think we're both speaking from a, a lens more so of just pondering on this topic. And I'm just turning 30. So I think I do again, like transparently have a little bit of time before I even need to start thinking about this. Whereas I know, Emma, you have gone on the journey of freezing your eggs. So I think we each come from a unique perspective here, but I'd love to just, there's not even really a question, but just to open up the dialogue around this notion of I need to choose somebody because of my age and I need this person to either be my future kid's dad or not and like the pressures that can come up from this and how to start thinking about this and it's a topic I love to talk about because I think that it's so there you know it's it's really something that a lot of women who are already in their 30s and do want children at some point have to grapple with this and it's it's a reality like it's a situation that I do want to say that I've done a lot of research on this topic. So I feel like I am a bit of an expert in fertility in your 30s. I'm the kind of person that when they start to you know, dive into a topic, I basically like know everything about it. And I could, I could have like been the doctor freezing my eggs because I just read every single research paper. But there's a lot of misinformation about when you're even 30, having to take control of your fertility. I believe that every person has the right at whatever age to know their own fertility and to explore that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but a lot of the um, the research that says this 35 fertility cliff, that when you're 35, all of a sudden, all your eggs dry up and you're not going to be able to have children, a lot of it is really, really outdated uh, research and based on data from French farmers in like the early 1900s. And uh, people don't realize that, you know, they just hear all these things in popular culture and they see things and news articles and, and it is misinformation because it's a known thing that from the you're born with a million eggs and from the minute that you're born up until menopause you're losing egg quantity it, nothing happens overnight and I think that nothing happens overnight when you turn 30 nothing happens overnight when you turn 35 it is known that women have until their late 40s to have children and from I think the age of 37 38 39 it is statistically harder to get pregnant and also more uh, chance of, of miscarriage and for things to go wrong. But by no means does that mean it's impossible. And that was a huge thing for me because I truly believed before I researched it that if I wasn't going to have a baby by 35, then I would be basically not able to have children. And also my mind wasn't open to having a baby in my 40s. And now it's like, wow, I've done so much uh, insight and reframing of it and actually gone out and seeing how many women are choosing now to have children later, it's becoming a lot more normal. And obviously there are risks, but being a young mum isn't the only way to be a mum. And I think it's really important to say that out loud. Uh, and I think that, you know, I can talk about my own journey that I stayed in the relationship too long. So too long. I stayed in the relationship longer than I maybe wanted to because of this fear 
of not being able to have children and thinking, and I honestly used to say it and I'm embarrassed to say it out loud, but I will anyway, that I was like, okay, well maybe this person isn't compatible for me, but he'll be a great dad and this is my only chance. So I'll just stay mm. with him. I then came out of that relationship and started to, hus- uh, to daddy hunt. So I, I literally said that. I came out and I started to date and I would be dating and I was in a rush. I was like probably six weeks out of a four year relationship already being like, okay, I need to just date as much as possible. And I was on all the apps and I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go all in. And then after a few months, I was like, I don't want to date right now. Actually, Mm -hmm. I want to just be alone and heal and, and do my own thing. And dating doesn't actually feel so aligned and no. And that's the point when I said, okay, if I'm dating like this because I am worried about being a mum, then I can investigate. And I really always say to people, knowledge is power. So I was only 33 and a half when I did it, but I went and got some fertility checks and everything came back luckily normal. For most women, it does. Sometimes obviously things do come up in the test that we don't know about, uh, something to consider when you do the tests that uh, you know we don't know what the results are going to be. Most of the time people are within the normal range and And I felt more calm and I just felt like, okay, great. I can take some time and I can go traveling and I can do my own thing and I can focus on my business and my friendships and building up other things in my life. And then I reopened it again on my 35th birthday because I was in the same position. And I said, okay, now I actually, I'm ready to freeze them. Whereas before I wasn't really ready. I was just like ready to get the information. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, I redid the test and my fertility hadn't even gone down in those two years, which is again, everyone says every, you know, you're going to become less fertile and less fertile. And the doctor was like, your fertility is basically the same. So Mm. another important point. And then I just decided, okay, like the time is now. And I did it and uh, wasn't the most pleasant month of my life, but it was very quick. And uh, I'm very privileged that I was able to afford to do that. And it was something that was available to me. I know it's not available to everybody, but I'm really pleased with my decision to do it I really feel like it gave me some security and peace of mind it was an insurance policy I'm probably not going to use the eggs all being well I'm expecting and hoping to have children naturally but if and when I need to then they're there so that's my journey to it and I think that it's something that we need to speak about out loud more because we do have these pressures and we do have this biological clock that men don't have and there's no point in burying our heads in the sand and just saying, okay, we'll just see what happens. We, we, we get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing this conversation to the podcast just because it's not really something that I've thought that much about. I've heard friends doing it, or I've just, you know, heard the basics, but I think those statistics and the research that you brought is really helpful for people to hear. And Next, I kind of want to talk about that part around, you know, well, maybe we're incompatible, but like I can see them being a great dad or whatever it is. Um, You know, whoever your partner is, if you're trying to picture them as a parent, but then maybe there's also some potential things causing anxiety. I think there is, of course, that that challenge that we talked about where it feels like there's a rush and a pressure to know and this urgency around making a decision. But I think from my perspective, you know, the long-term repercussions of rushing into that decision far outweigh like the the time that it might take to to wait a little bit. But I also want to bear in mind for some people that like, you know, the fertility is a factor. So I think how, how do you recommend people think about this? Like when you're working with someone and they're 
asking that question and they feel the need to know the answer based on their timeline, what is something that you consider with them of how to make that choice? And I'll say one last thing before I open this up that I think there's this this balance between like wanting to find the perfect partner and that person be like our life partner versus knowing that, okay, there are not compatibilities that are aligned here. And so parsing out, am I expecting perfection of this person or am I just trying to make this work because of my age? Mm. Wow. What you said is, it's so, it's such a difficult loaded topic. I think it's really hard because, you know, I think we spoke about this before offline it's wanting to just know and control everything in the future so it's really feeling that if we don't have certainty then there's something wrong but the truth is and I'm sure you speak about this a lot and I know I do is that can't really ever know how can we know you know especially when we first start dating somebody or even if we've been together for years we don't know how they're going to be as a father we just don't know we don't know you know maybe the fertility tests come back that everything's great and there's something anatomically in your body that means that you you can't get pregnant easily and we have to wait longer like we just we just never know and I think that honestly what I would suggest for anyone who's kind of clinging on to that I need to do things by a certain time and I need to know if my partner is going to be a good father or if he's going to be the father and all those things is at some point we just have to surrender to what's going to happen and we have to let go and know that and maybe this is a little bit woo woo but the universe is supporting us and you know I think that for me I've really been on a journey with this in the past year with meeting somebody new at this age and thinking like I don't know if this person now I'm in a different position but when I first started dating them there was that pressure of having to know I think that's why I found your your page it was like oh my god I'm now 35 I met this person we're getting on amazing it's all so great and I just need to know, is he the one? Is is he? Is he the person that is going to do all these things with? And like, at the end of the day, we don't have a crystal ball. So how can we ever know? And I think that's true, even if you've been with somebody for seven years, if you've been with somebody for seven months, seven weeks, and you just have to really learn and stay focused on being present and really seeing that within that presence, if you can find enough good things to keep you there. And that's really what I went through. And I can say like in a transparent way that I was freaking out. And I think, and I, I actually want to do a podcast episode about this on my own podcast of when you meet somebody later that you have those time pressures more because of fertility and because of guess just wanting to hit those timelines. And if you stay not present and you're going to be rushing and you're going to be maybe settling as well, which is another thing or, or kind of doing things in a way that isn't aligned and not that much good can come from that. So I think it's all about opening up the possibility that you're not actually in a rush. Like, I think that we put us, ourselves into so much more pressure. And I know that some people, maybe if they really do want to become a mum and may meet somebody at the age of 41 or 42, then, then yes, like I, I do see that as being more timelines of more pressured. But if you're in your thirties, which most of my you know audience are, and you know, even I have a lot of clients who are 29 experiencing this. And then I'm like, you have so much time. So it's about taking that reframe from like, I need to know everything right now to actually I have a lot more time than I think. And let's focus on being present, surrendering, letting go and letting the story unfold exactly as it should. Mm, Beautifully said. Two things to respond to in that you earlier brought up this notion of what if 
and how we're always asking like, well, if this or if that, then maybe I'll be happy. Or like we're, we're going into a lot of hypotheticals when we think into the future. And so I think that there's a simple reframe of instead of asking what if or what might this look like, switching to what is, and that helps us get present. So what is currently happening or like, are things currently going well with this person enough to want to continue? And even if there is some anxiety in the present, like, is there still also some sense of I really want to keep exploring this because we only ever have what is not what if in the future. Mm -hmm. And so that can help us be present. And then very quickly for anyone who's listening and didn't know about this already, you mentioned the word settling. And I know that can be a topic that people are like, oh my gosh, how do I know if I'm settling or not? And so I've done a lot of um, other kind of exploring of this topic in my Is It Anxiety or Am I Settling webinar. And so if someone has the question of, am I settling or is it just my anxiety? How do I know the difference? Then I will link in the show notes that webinar just to explore it because I do think that that's another word that can also be really confusing if you're experiencing yeah. relationship anxiety. Heard today, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else around this topic of age and relationships and kind of carving out your own path in your 30s that you want to leave listeners with before we head into our final couple questions? I just really want to speak to anybody listening who does feel rushed to do something, whether if you are somebody who is single and feeling rushed or in a relationship and feeling rushed is to know that you know, you're not in as much rush as you think that you are. And everybody has different timelines. So just if somebody else around you, and it could be your best friend, it could be all your friends from school, it can be your colleagues in work, even if everyone else is doing one thing and you're doing another, that's absolutely okay. We can't all be doing the same things at the same time. And just to remind you that you, and we've said this a few times, you create your own path, you create your own journey and you get to decide whether you want to own it and be like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do in the way that I want to do it. Or whether you get to look at everyone else and be in comparison mode and start to do things you know, in a way that doesn't actually feel like you want to because of, you know, what society says. So I just want to, I guess, end with that to say that my timeline didn't look like most of my people around me. Like I, I, I was thinking about it, actually, it's in a few weeks, it's my, one of my oldest friends, um, 10 year wedding anniversary. Mm. And she has, um, she has two kids. And, you know, I remember being at her wedding being like, wow, like, am I going to get engaged soon? It was my ex, ex-boyfriend at the time. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it like 10 years on and I'm still, I'm, I'm not currently uh, planning on getting married and anytime soon. And it's like, and that's fine. And the thought of being in that space probably would have really frightened me, but now I'm in it. I'm like, it's not that scary to be on a different timeline to other people. So that's what I would, I guess, like to reiterate is that we all live our own paths and just to embrace and uh, be on your own path. I love that. The word that came to mind was intentionality, because whether you're in a relationship or you're single, if you're intentionally showing up and being that like main character energy that people talk about, then it's all going to work out and unfold as it's intended to. And 
obviously like there could be a whole other podcast on the discussion of like free will versus like everything's already um, predetermined. But I just think that we always have this option to show up intentionally. And I think that you're speaking to that so beautifully. So thank you so much. Um, because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, I always ask my guests, what is one thing you have learned about love that you want to leave listeners with today? Oh, I love this question so much. And I did say that I was just going to think of something off the cuff. So I'm just going to see what what pops out. You know, I'm in a new relationship and I'll say new, it's, it's already been nine months. And I think that, you know, this whole thing about the grass being greener like when we're single we think it's going to be greener if we're in a relationship when we're in a relationship we think it's going to be greener if we're single and I think that and this isn't like to kind of poo love or to make anybody not want to do it but one thing I wish I knew about love is how intentional and how conscious it is and it, how mindful you have to be when rece- learning how to receive love learning how to give love and it's something that I'm on a such a big journey with right now and I think that I'm kind of happy I didn't know about it before but at the same time like I also wish that somebody would have taught me at school when I was younger that love doesn't just like come and then you just like have a magic button and then everything you know someone waves the wand and life is perfect it's like it just takes two people who really have the same intention and really want to like fight for it and and make the most of it and be in a relationship together so that's what I've learned about love in very recent times. Mm. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for that. I think that's a beautiful reminder. And last question, where can people stay in touch with you or connect with you if they have enjoyed what you're sharing and want to learn more? Sure. So I'm usually hanging out on Instagram. So my handle is at turning 30 coach, the 30 and the numbers three zero. I also have a podcast very aptly named the turning 30 podcast, which Sarah, you were a guest on. Um, a few weeks ago, one of my most downloaded episodes uh, of mm. 2023. So highly recommend if your audience and listeners haven't already listened to it to, to go over there and hear you speaking so beautifully about relationship anxiety. And my website is turning30coach.com. Uh, and yeah, I just invite you to connect. If you like this episode, I'm always available on Instagram to have a nice chat. So would love to hear feedback. Thank you so much. It was great chatting with you, Emma. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.